This episode of the Managing Madrid podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who are the leaders in men's below-the-waist grooming. Get 20% off and free shipping over on manscaped.com using code MANAGINGMADRID. And not to spoil it, but pretty soon in March, we're allowed to announce special new products that Manscaped are launching, and we're super excited for you guys to know about those. And we all over on Managing Madrid, we use Manscaped products, and we're super, super proud to have them sponsor us, and we love working with them. And as always, we like to set up the podcast by stating who Manscaped and who didn't based on their performance. So Om Arvin is here with me, and I'm wondering, Om, who do you think forgot to turn their Manscaped Manscaped mowers on before the game? Yeah, I think it's pretty obvious that was Casemiro. No matter what Carlos says in the press conference afterwards, you're going to hear us talk about in the podcast about him being overworked and how when you're tired, the first to go is your mind and and how a lot of coaches say that every level which i think is true but you'll hear us also our thing on the podcast to say is the first thing to go when you don't manscape is your mind and your awareness right he was just so itchy for him out there just couldn't focus and he lost the ball time and time again because of that and i'm surprised he didn't manscape at halftime because he came back it was the same thing and he ended up being subbed off so i think that was the reason but Matt, who was the guy that manscaped? Who was the guy that had his awareness in his mind throughout the 90 minutes? There was one individual on the Real Madrid team who definitely manscaped, and that is Tebow Courtois. Big Tebow has been huge for us all season. And you know what? I think we got to give credit to another individual on the field, though. Uh, Luca Zidane, the other goalkeeper, he must have learned a thing or two while at Real Madrid because he also manscaped. And he, he did really well today. I was impressed. He closed down angles, made some big saves. I'm sure he made his, his father Zinedine proud. So Courtois and Luca, well done. You both clearly manscaped before the game. Shout out to Courtois and also former Real Madrid goalkeeper, former Real Madrid Castilla goalkeeper, Luca Zidane, who did manscape today. Listeners, if you want to fly through the air like Thibaut Courtois and Luca Zidane, go over to manscaped.com and use code MANAGINGMADRID for 20% off and free shipping. Your balls will thank you. This episode is also brought to you by The Guild. The Guild are proud sponsors of the Managing Madrid Podcast World Tour, and they have luxury apartments all over the United States, and you can book prolonged stays, you can book shorter stays, one week, two days, one month, it doesn't matter, whatever it is in your convenience. The Guild has locations in Dallas, Miami, Cincinnati, Denver, and San Antonio, and their super, super convenient system allows you to check into your room, pre-stock your fridge with your favorite snacks, order extra supplies, or get recommendations from a local concierge, all from the convenience of your phone. On that note, the Managing Major Podcast World Tour is going to Washington next in March. That's coming up. Myself, Omar, and Gabe Lezra will all be there. And by the way, we're also coming to Chicago in April. That's our last stop in the United States and your last chance to see us in the United States. So, This is also super important. You have two days left to get early bird tickets to the Chicago podcast. After that, the prices go up. March 1st, the prices go up. So do yourself a favor. If you've been looking at all of our social media and all these videos and these podcasts and these fun tours we're having and these Monday Decent parties we're having all around the world and you feel like you've missed out, and especially if that's you and especially if you're in Illinois, just stop what you're doing now. Don't even listen to the rest of the podcast yet. Put it aside. Go to the show notes. Click on the link and book your early bird tickets to the prices uh, to Chicago before the prices go up on March 1st. It helps you save money and it helps us plan logistics. So again, stop what you're doing right now if you're in Illinois. Go to the link. Click on the link in the show notes and buy your tickets ASAP before prices go up March 1st. 
Uh, on that note, we also have Mumbai in May. That is going to be the last stop. That is going to be the grand finale. We look forward to seeing you there as well in India. And without further ado, let's get to tonight's post-game show. Uh, another very thorough breakdown of another Real Madrid win. And obviously included is plenty of PSG talk. Because you couldn't resist. Carlo himself talked about it in the post-game. So let's get to it. Post-game show coming up. Let's go. Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. They're wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. Kareem Benzema needs to rest and the numbers reveal why. Hello and welcome to a Saturday edition of the Managing Madrid Podcast. It is, what is the date today? 25th? 24th? 25th, right? 26th. It's the 26th. I was way off and none of these guys you, on the podcast you got that, even, none, none of these guys on the podcast yeah. even care to help me out. They're just watching me, just trying to figure the, out this calendar thing like, like an idiot. But it is the 26th and we are here to discuss Real Madrid's 1-0 victory away to Raya Vallecano in a difficult situation, in a difficult stadium. Historically, Raya Vallecano and Vallecas, it's a raucous atmosphere, even though it wasn't at full capacity today because of some restrictions. Um, it is an incredibly fun atmosphere, actually, to be a part of. I highly encourage anyone listening to this podcast, whether you're a fan of them or not, to just actually go there and take in an, uh, a game. I would actually dare to even say that it's much better than the Bernabeu in terms of atmosphere because everyone there is there because they are literally fanatics and lunatics supporters of Raya Vallecano. Totally fun. So besides the point, uh, we went there and we won, and it was a tedious game and one we weren't sure how it was going to go down. We're not sure what the tone of this podcast was going to be. Thankfully to a moment of genius between Benzema and Vinicius, we're here uh, with with high spirits and a lot to talk about. So joining me, Kian Sobani, are Om Arvin and Matt Wiltsey. Gentlemen, how are you guys doing? Just look, look at just, me, just, like it, looking at me again, <laughs> just staring into space as if like you expect look, me to answer for you. It, this is this is not my fault. Every single time, Matt is the guy who goes. This first, is true. So I, I was get, expecting Matt to answer first as well. Matt's but, also I, I on mute, know. laughing hysterically. I don't, and he, I don't know if he knows that. No, I think he does. Um. Anyway, I'll go first this time. I, I'm doing fine. I guess. I mean, I don't get. I mean, there's always frustrations in the match when you watch it. That's just part and parcel of like being a fan of a team. But this is how I expect most games to go. So I've accepted it. And and as long as we get the win, like that's what it is, right? Like I don't necessarily see. I mean, we've, we, we've talked about this before. Like what are the paths to changing and getting better? And I don't see that many realistic ones or ones that Carlo will use. So if this is how most of it is going to go, then that's how most of it is going to go. We can still assess and analyze it afterwards, but that's always a more objective, less emotional process. So, yeah, I mean, if we get the wins, we march our way to a La Liga title. It is what it is. Get Carlo his – this is the only league title he has not won, right, in the, in the top five leagues. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I'm looking at it in terms of uh, how am I doing perspective. If we get the win, I'm, I'm doing great. It was – it was – that was a very good goal at the end. It was a cathartic goal. It was nice to see Vinny involved after I asked for him to be subbed off. So, yeah, doing great. 
Yeah, I think this is one of those wins that you look back on on a season, kind of like we did uh, in 1920, where I always think back to that game in Victoria against um, Alaves, where it was pouring down rain, Carvajal scored a goal. It was just one of those games where you had to grind it out. Um, and we did that here today. It's, there were a couple opportunities. There were moments where you thought we had this. And then Rio actually peppered our goal a number of times, especially in the second half. But we, we grinded it out. We got the win. We got through it. We might look back and say these are really important points. And oh, I'm kind of with you. I was thinking I was surprised that actually when Rodrigo came in, it wasn't for Vinicius. I thought Vinicius was the guy that should have been taken off. And sure enough, the only thing kind of in the back of my head was, I guess Ancelotti really does see Vinicius at that superstar level now where you have to keep him on regardless because he could do, he has that talent where he could do something up until the 90th minute. And sure enough, that happened. He was one of the difference makers. He curved his run brilliantly on that goal. And uh, I, I really don't think he did much else in this game, but that's the one moment you need from him and he did it. So uh, that's, that's kind of goes to show that Carlo was right in that regard. Well, I, I, that's, that's why the superstars are there because you bank on that one moment. And if they can come good in that one moment in, and in this situation, it was two superstars in the clutch combining and saving the day, then it's worth it. It's worth keeping them on even through some of the, the struggles they may go through over the course of a game. And Cristiano Ronaldo was just the the prime example of this, right? Where, doesn't matter if he doesn't touch the ball game. He can come come in the 90th minute flying in for a huge goal. Listen, like f- coming from somebody who's been highly critical of Carlo Ancelotti, and I think we all have been to an extent on this podcast and through our analysis, and I think much of it has been fair. It's It hasn't been a narrative or an agenda. I think, you know, we, we analyze what we see and a lot of the things we're, we're concerned about, and that was that all came into fruition in the first leg against PSG, and we're worried about it for the second leg too. And I think a lot of this podcast, as has been the case for the past few games, will be about uh, big picture stuff and maybe not so much, yeah, far more interesting, maybe some of the little tactical intricacies of this game, although we will dissect that. If you look at it now, <sighs> we're top of the league, nine points if you have a game in hand, obviously. We're... Really, and and they're our only threat at this point. Most goals in the league, the second best defense in the league, 32 goal differential, which is far and away the best in the league, and sitting 60 points top of the league with 26 games played. You know, we we've been all asking for this. We've all we've all been asking for man. I don't care. Like, we just need to figure out the league title. We don't win enough league titles. We're not consistent enough. And we've been consistent from a result perspective this season. We can complain about the process a little bit and some of the stuff we're worried about for the Champions League. But, you know, as a fan base who cries out for more league titles and consistency and results, and that's what we care about, we have to be happy with how this season is going. And, you know, all of this could unravel in the second leg against PSG at some point. But... You know, from a results perspective in the league, this is what we ask for. And I think that's what Ohm is also alluding to, right? It's just, you know, it's it's consistent results, which we're getting. Do you guys want to start any, anywhere in particular with this game? We, you know, the starting 11 kind of picks itself. It always does. We're not surprised when we see it. Do you want to start with, um, you know, Ohm, what what was the most interesting, maybe tactical wrinkle of this first half, for example? Yeah, I think I basically I should just <clears throat> repeat 
what I said on the spaces, I guess, maybe the opportunity to go more in depth into what I was talking about. So one thing is like, I realized when I was looking at the who scored stats, I was looking at the shot chart wrong. And I realized at the end of the game that Rayo actually outshot us, not just in the first half, but throughout the entire game. But I stand by my general point in that I don't really think the offense was the big problem in that first half. Asensio had two very big chances to start off. I generally liked the high tempo style with which we were passing. Um, Benzema looked really sharp to open the game. And I thought we were doing generally the things you'd want to do on a very broad level to try to break down a deep block, right? Which is trying to play a lot of combinations, playing at pace, putting Rai under a lot of pressure and stress with, with the way we were, we were attacking them and, and passing it around. And what I talked about in spaces is like when Carlo Ball was at, at its best, this is what we what we were doing in a possession per perspective, right? Was was trying to be a little riskier in a sense, playing at a high tempo and taking advantage of all the offensive talent we have to try to get at deep blocks. The problem is is that offense and defense are not separate, and in football they just they're they're one continuous thing that constantly relate to each other and affect each other. So the issue for me, and I think you guys will probably agree with this, is that. The issue is the defense. Like we considered 13 shots in that first half to Rayo. A lot of them, you know, some some pretty decent ones, a lot of them coming in sort of transition moments. And so the thing with with Carlo is yeah, what we do is we when it when the possession play is at its best, it's it's nice to break down deep blocks, but it kind of happens outside of like what has become more conventional type of positional structure, right? With a, with a super clear idea of where everyone is going to be on the ball, which affects what tacticians call, coaches call rest defense, which is literally just your positioning when you're on the ball, right when you lose the ball, right? So it's essentially preparing for the turnover. And because guys are kind of all over the place moving at high pace, when we lost the ball, which was a big problem today because of not just him, but mostly because of Casemiro, who we're obviously going to have to spend a section of this podcast talking about. He has 78% passing accuracy in the first half when we had 67% possession. So he was just giving the ball away left, right, and center. And so when that was happening, we were not at all prepared as a collective to deal with that turnover. And then Ryo just went straight down our throat and they were able to create chances. So that was the primary problem for me in that first half. And I think that's just part of the trade-off that, that comes with Carlo Ball, whereas I think partially Zidane played a more lethargic style, particularly the second uh, stint of Zidane at Madrid, because he was wary of that, right? He's like, yeah, I know everyone's complaining about how, how lethargic we look versus deep blocks. We could play faster. We, we could try to play riskier. But by being so deliberate in possession, even though we don't have an amazing, sophisticated possession structure, just by playing a little bit more deliberate, there's more time for people to set themselves more time for people to get in position and have better rest defense when we lose the ball. Now, obviously he was, he was, he, he wasn't completely committing to that with the whole thing with sending Casemiro forward and using him as a box threat. Right. So he was trying to, you know, find trade-offs in a different way, right. His way of doing that was using Casemiro offensively like that, but with a more much, much slower approach in possession so that we were more prepared for things. And I think that's the main difference between Carlo and Zidane or, it's kind of what we thought Carlo was going to bring on a consistent basis. This is not something we've seen every single game, but today it is what we saw. Like we really were playing at a crazy tempo in possession the first 20, 25 minutes. And it was hard for Rio to handle, but it was also hard for us to handle because 
they would just, it just was, it was like we were setting them up to launch counterattacks at us. There's also the issue with the press, but I'm sure we'll have time to talk about that. But this to me was kind of the more interesting point. Yeah. And I think, I mean, the point you make there about kind of rest defense and it's always been one of Jose Mourinho's principles of play is that when you're on the ball, it, you're, you have to be, especially the players that not necessarily the ball carrier, but when your team's in possession, you always have to be thinking about where you need to be defensively if you lose possession. And so that's kind of the, po- the point there on offense and defense. It's always, you, you're, it's always ever flowing. It's both. You're always thinking about both at the same time. And so I think a huge problem for us today was Casemiro is usually one of our best players in thinking about where he needs to be when we lose the ball, but he was the one losing the ball more often than not. And then out of position because Raya would do a quick one, two around him or scoop the ball over him after he loses possession and they go straight down the center of the pitch and we'd have no one there kind of clog and plug those holes. So I think, I think now's the appropriate time to talk about Casimir. And I just to think, to talk about even our buildup out of the back, because I think today, we saw Ryle's press. Yeah, it was it was decent, but I don't think it was as effective as PSG's the other uh, the other week. And we struggled. We struggled. Mendy had that horrible giveaway um, in the first half where he passed it right to a Ryle player um, within our, within our box. Uh, Casemiro was just hounded. He lost possession multiple times. I actually think it may be a blessing in disguise to have both those guys out against PSG if they play the similar play a similar way to the way they did um, in the first leg because Mendy and Casemiro were our two huge liabilities. They were liabilities again today. And I just don't feel that comfortable when they, when they get pressed. Mendy got better as the game wore on Casemiro never did, but I still don't feel a hundred percent comfortable with Mendy when he, when he's pressed. That, that, so that same thought has crossed my mind about that being a blessing in disguise for us. And I've been very, very cautious about saying that just in case it comes to backfire. It's misinterpreted, but I've been yeah, like, it can definitely backfire. <laughs> I I've been very diplomatic. I I've said things like, in op- I I've worded it like this is an opportunity to get creative. That's how I worded it. Like to in, to to make creative lineups without Casemiro that I can actually can be beneficial on the ball. Can we bring forward Casemiro for one second because there's so many interesting things you guys touched on. But like you know the off ball stuff also. This is all th- these were all themes against PSG too. The the positional side of things the inferiority we were to PSG and just in terms of positioning alone put us in, at a huge disadvantage. Um, and I, I think like the buildup today was decent. Like it was pretty good. Like I was a little bit frustrated that we didn't take advantage of Raya Vallecano because I, I didn't think that Raya Vallecano's defensive structure was that good. I mean, their pressing gave us problems. But from like, if you look at just like any given sequence and I thought Modric, you know, made, Take, took advantage of this the best where his vertical passing was pretty good and I thought he was one of our bright spots today but like if you look at Rio's positioning and their vertical compactness on defense it was terrible even though they were actually playing pretty narrow um, especially when they got the ball but there was a lot of situations we didn't take advantage of I mean obviously this could have changed if Asensio took his early chance and he had another chance that went just wide and he combined well with Carvajal but I would say, like, from an offensive standpoint, one of the things we have been missing 
is Vinicius has cooled a lot. And you look at this game, Asensio was much more involved in him than him in this game. He was much more active on the ball as a present as a presence. He had way more touches than him, even though he played less far less minutes than, than Vinicius did. And Vinicius just hasn't been kind of getting going with the ball. Like he hasn't had many opportunities to just get the ball on the left flank and go at players. So so that, that's one thing that in, in past games, if we were having moments like this and where the buildup was good and the final third was, the final third would carry us the rest of the way where that hasn't really been the case with Vinicius cooling down. And ben, let's be honest, Benzema still haven't, hasn't been at a great level. Although now this game and the previous game, the second half, there's a moment where they wake up and um, they, they come alive. So uh, the press, I wanted to also ask you guys about this, Ryo's press. I, I'm kind of writing about this right now. It hasn't been published yet, and I mentioned this on Twitter, and I was just looking at Barca's pressing numbers and how, you know, looking ahead, way ahead to Clasico, just that if you look at their passes per defensive action now, it's they're the most aggressive team, pressing team in Europe, which kind of, it kind of, Xavi just incrementally brought it up. It's they, they have the most aggressive press in Spain, and I know you can't really gauge it that way, but if you compare it to, like, Liverpool and Manchester City's press, um, it's not as aggressive from a numerical standpoint. Um, but obviously different leagues, leagues, different opponents, you know, so you have to factor that in, but whatever it's, it, it's a very aggressive press. And someone mentioned to me like, yeah, but it's, you know, they still, they're still not as good as like other teams are holding the ball and, and pressing us like maybe so, but I think that's pretty naive given the fact that, you know, we struggled against even teams like Rio today. So I think we really have to figure that out. Where are you guys on that in terms of like how we looked and how we dealt with certain aspects of not only Rio's press, but just opponent's press in general. Where, where do you guys stand on that? So I think specifically with Rio today, obviously we, we had so much of the ball. We spent so much of the time in the final third. It's not like Rio just destroyed us with the press, right? Like there were, there were certain issues. There weren't the, the greatest moments, especially to start the game. But ultimately, it wasn't like the factor that would lead someone to think, oh, this wasn't as great of a performance as we'd want, right? But I do think it's telling that really quickly, Courtois was waving everyone up the pitch on goal kicks, and he's like, let's just go long, right? Let's just go long. We're not trying to play through the press, not from goal kicks at least, and we'll fight for the second ball there. And in that type of environment where we're suffering in transition and we want to reduce maybe a little bit of the chaos. Our normal possession game is going quite quick and we're facing things coming at us. I would very much like to be able to put our foot on the ball and, and control things a little better, but with the type of game Castro was having, I don't know, maybe it was just like, yeah, we're, we're not going to do this. It's too dangerous. And one thing I forgot to mention because we did discuss this quickly on the spaces is that the right-hand side of the pitch was like disastrous. Like they openly like, mauled that side of the pitch mostly i think thinking about the second half and Vinicius playing on that side but it would have also affected our build-up trying to play down that side right i mean we go through the left mostly but it still would have affected things so maybe that played a factor but that's a little bit of a crutch right if we're talking about our build-up generally um you know it's not like carlo is going to you know have a ton of instructions and like this rigid structure that he wants everyone to follow, right? He'll put out a general plan. The lineup kind of has to do the rest. And when it comes to like PSG and bigger CL games, 
I think it's more personal, right? We've discussed Casemiro to death, but also, for example, like Modric and Kroos did not step up in that PSG game, right? Like if that's going to happen, then there's no way the buildup is necessarily going to work. Yeah, and I mean, I don't have too much to add to that. I think, Keon, to your question on just like, Barcelona improving in this department, what we saw from PSG, how, like, what what do we expect or what do we need to do to change to be able to play against that? I I mean, to Ohm's point, like, if you're just going to kick it up the field like we did against PSG, I, that was the one thing that really kind of burned in my memory is us doing this whole new corner kick routine where Courtois just blasted up the field to no one and the ball just comes right back at us. And that happened a couple times today. And against better opponents like PSG and Barcelona, that will continue to happen. So we're going to need to find ways to to play through that. And that's why I'm very curious to see how we line up. If if it's Alaba at left back, if it's Cruz at defensive midfielder, like I honestly think that personnel puts us in a much better place to play through the press than how we set up in the initial leg. So and then I, th- I think you got to be able to rely on guys like Cruz and Modric, who I think we haven't really talked about it, but both of them, they're still, they're playing fine. Like you wouldn't call them out as playing really poorly or anything like that, but I just feel like they're not quite at the level that they have been maybe more so Modric than Cruz. I just feel like I'm not really noticing, and this is more of an eye test than anything else. I haven't, I don't have the stats to back this up, but I just feel like Modric hasn't been, quite as impactful or his usual self um, in in the last few weeks and maybe even months uh, of the season. So the Modric thing is interesting because I know Keon was quite impressed with his performance today. One thing is his passing accuracy was under 85% today, whereas Kuros was near 98%. Part of that is Modric was trying to riskier things. That's pretty part of the course though. Modric's passing accuracy is never as high as Kuros. Like he's always... Yeah, but he's usually 87, 88%. We have this much of the ball. I'm just saying that might have been part of what maybe was was a perception with that today. But speaking generally, because I was mostly fine with Modric today, I have noticed a drop-off basically since since the uh, the Super Cup thing, right, where he put in outstanding performances. The article I wrote about him on my Substack was basically about the run of games up until then. And then since then, it's it's not quite been the same, right? PSG being like the one that was just really disappointing to me from the entire midfield perspective, but particularly Modric. I don't know, though, like, I just kind of feel like that's how it's going to be with him, right? We, we talk about all the time, like, you know, it looks like he hasn't aged. If he plays like this forever, it's going to be great. And like, yeah, I mean, he's been at, still at a really high level at his age, but I think it's normal that... He can't necessarily sustain that level of performance, like that tip top level of performance through every single game at his age. And it's more about like, there's, there's more highs and lows, but there's still a lot of highs. And I think that's the thing with him. So, I I mean, that's my take on Modric. And I think we're just experiencing one of those lows. The other thing is, yeah, Fede hasn't really been used this season. Modric has gone back to being played a lot and that probably plays into it as well. I mean, you got, I mean, Keon, I, I assume you have a lot to say about this, but I think Fede, talking about Fede's performance, his last two sub appearances have been pretty good. I think that's kind of a natural transition. I was impressed. And I think now is the moment with what Matt is talking about to consider him because he's looking like his old self offensively again. I agree and disagree. I, I, I think this is a good place to talk about the midfield. I, I agree that Modric hasn't been himself, you know, for a few games now. And I agree that, 
but I, but I also think that nobody's been themselves for a few games now. It's been a long like against PSG. You know, we talk about you know the the drop off in performance of Modric and Cruz, which did not help Casemiro anyone's situation. Everyone was bad. I mean, I think the only one who's kind of sustained at certain level was has been Militao really, and Courtois obviously, who's just a constant. But uh, what I liked about Modric in this game was that. He was very, very quick with his decision-making and one-touch vertical passing. was very efficient. You look at some of the sequences in the first half, like his through ball to Vinicius in the 38th minute, which is just gorgeous through ball. And then Vinicius' cutback is intercepted. You look at some of the defensive sequences. He had you know, had, had a few brave blocks in the box, and, and Rayo's shot chart is insane. I think Ohm kind of alluded to it, the number of shots they had in the box. It was just pure volume, and Modric was really important in, in co- closing some of those. And his dribbling was pretty good too. I also agree that this is not more peak Modric and this is not going to be something he can sustain game to game. Uh, but I, I also think like the contrast of Modric and Casemiro was like almost laughable in terms of what Modric was doing in transition with the ball versus Casemiro. Modric was finding the right pass more often than not. But you look at Casemiro and he's obviously going to be a hot topic in this game. Uh, there were just a couple moments where, and Om and I were talking about this on the Twitter spaces we did at halftime. He gets the ball in the transition, in transition. Vinicius is to his left, vertical passing lane. Modric is to his right, slightly horizontal. He has a Sensio with a diagonal ball who's open. Make All three making runs in transition for him. And he ignores all of them and then holds the ball and then just kicks it out of bounds. Like three seconds have passed, he kicks it out of bounds, and then he puts his arms out as if to say, "Where were you guys?" Like as if it's like it's 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 anyone else's fault but him. And the moments like that really kill our attack. Um, and this, you know, there, this this was a theme last game too. Uh, on the flip side, I really like I agree. Oh my, I I really like Fetty's uh, energy off the bench. I like what Fetty was doing in this game. I, I box to box classic. Carrying the ball, setting up teammates in the box, intercepting passes. Really classic energy from Fede Valverde, what we're used to seeing. And I thought we could use this opportunity, gentlemen, to play a game of agree, <laughs> agree and disagree. Uh, because a lot of Carlos' post-game quotes, I don't know if you had a chance to see them, they tie into exactly what we're talking about. This is going to be good. This yeah. Is- Gonna be Please good. tell me you haven't seen the quotes yet because it's more fun if you guys get surprised. With I, I have not. I have not seen them. Okay. Matt's, a, Matt's a nerd. He probably looked it up right away. I don't know, but <laughs> I don't. I I've seen part of them, so I don't know if I've seen what you're gonna reference. Oh, fantastic! This is gonna be great. Okay, so let's start off with. Uh, let me just pull it up here. I mean, I have some of them kind of memorized, but I just want to make sure I get them right because uh, I'm a professional journalist who does not post any fake news so um so the first one we'll we'll uh we'll bring up is about uh of course when i'm trying to find it it's here it is so first of all he starts off by saying you know i'm I'm pretty happy with the game part of the team's work we we tried to press we took some risks, um, but I'm happy. Okay, not so not so interesting. Although he was pretty happy with the press. So he says on Casemiro, he had a good game. He scored a goal that was disallowed. And he also said, okay, well, why don't we just 
stopped right there. I have I have the rest of the quotes that are going to come up much faster. Casemiro had a good game. He had a goal disallowed. Agree or disagree? Well, it is true that he had a goal disallowed. So, I mean, Carlo is spot on right there. Not a valid I, goal, though. So I think it's I think it's really obvious. We don't think Casemiro had a good game. I I would be shocked if he actually believed that, though. One, because Casemiro was subbed off. And, like, I, I just don't think that's ever happened for performance reasons. Like, I think it's happened because, like, we've wanted to go more offensive because he's injured. But, like, I, I just can't remember the last time that happened. So, I just think it's Carlo just defending his player. Well, actually, like you said, the reason that- what he sub- was subbed off was because of the yellow card. And he was worried that Casemiro would get a second. Yeah, but it's also rare to see that happen because Casemiro yeah. do- just doesn't pick up the second yellow card. I think yeah. Carlos defending his man. Um, but if I'm to take the words at face value, obviously I disagree. And I, I don't I don't think even the staunchest Casemiro stand like will will try to defend this game, right? They'll just be like, This is this is one of those games. But the thing is, it's it's been a series of this. Like it's been really all season long. Casemiro has not had a good season. And I always push I can say like we could have seen this coming because he played so many minutes last year. He, I mean, we talk about lack of rotations. Everyone, I, I feel like people are eulogizing Zidane and like bringing him up, but Zidane didn't rotate it at all last year after he almost lost his job. And so Castamiro played literally every single minute. And he's when he did that the previous year in 1920 or sorry, um, in I think it was 2017, 2018, the f- subsequent year when Julian Lopetegui, Solari, that terrible season came, Casemiro was awful. And I remember I wrote an article about like what happened with Casemiro. All his numbers were down. And if you can kind of page it back to he played over 3,500 minutes. I think he played close to 4,000 minutes in the season prior. And he did the same thing this past season. And ne- the following season, it doesn't come to affect him that season, but the following season he was – he was garbage. He was awful. And it's happening this year again, too. And it's it goes to show when you just run these guys into the ground and maybe you reap short term benefits. But the long term, it's going to it's going to come back to get you eventually. It may not be in this game or the next game or even this season, but eventually it comes back to get you. So last two seasons, Champions League and La Liga, Casemiro has played thirty seven hundred minutes. And just doing the math real quick right now for this season, the same two competitions, he's, this is not including the Rio game, which has not been updated on who scored, but it's obviously over 2,500 minutes now. So we always have this discussion with Casemiro, like what is, what are his deficiencies on the ball? What are the trade-offs? And yeah, all of that is fair, but I feel like what's really under discussed is the thing that Matt just talked about, which is in all of this, he's been overworked more than any other player besides Benzema, basically, over this this long stretch of seasons that we're talking about. And I really dislike, like, people always like, Casemiro's our tank, you know, he's indestructible. And sure, he's, like, physically one of the most impressive players we have. But I really dislike how it's become this thing where we just kind of wave away, like, the the effect of overplaying him. We're, we're like, oh, he's just this guy who can't be touched, right? He's indestructible and it won't affect him when we can clearly see on the field that it in fact does affect his performances. And I really do feel like you can't remove this context of him playing so many minutes with these performances, right? This is not to say like that 
is the sole reason. We've seen Casemiro in his prime, on his best day, have vulnerabilities on the ball. But when you mix that with someone who's just going to be gassed and worked into the ground, those issues get enhanced. Like one of the first things any coach at any level will tell you is when you're tired, the first thing that goes is your mind right? You lose awareness, right? You just subconsciously stop focusing because that's the easiest way to, to conserve energy. And on so many of these giveaways, Casemiro just had no idea what was around him. The touch was just completely gone because he was, he was trying to take a moment off on there and just, it just combined for him to just giveaway after giveaway, right? Casemiro has vulnerabilities on the ball, but he's not so bad that he's a 78% passing accuracy type of guy, right? His passing accuracy has consistently been 84% to 87%, right? With inconsistencies here and there. If we're going to keep doing this with him, I this just is going to keep happening more and more as it has been happening with him. And I think the coaches have to take responsibility, right? As Matt said, it's just not a Carlo thing. Zidane overplayed the hell out of him and I, it's accumulated. And I think you can really see it, especially this season. I think you can make a case that he was even way more worked, overworked than Benzema because when you factor in all the trips to South America and plus Benzema being away from the national team for so long, you know, I, I know Matt and I agree with him. He's, he's been super vocal about these these trips and how just how taxing they are on the body. You know, the jet lag, the the air pressure, all that stuff. I know a lot of people actually laugh at it, but it's true. Um, so, and, and I, I think, Carlo was absolutely right to defend this player. I'm not saying Carlo said the wrong thing here, but I'm just, you know, we're, we're just kind of unpacking it in a, in a different and fun way to say, like, was this actually true? Was this not? This next quote opens up a whole can of worms because it looks ahead to the future. And I want to know if you guys think that how this would work. And this kind of ties in also to some of the midfield shape in this game in the second half because you... At one point, you had Kamavinga also come in for Vinicius. And you're like, well, this is classic Kamavinga cameo. He comes in for left wing, striker, right wing, goalkeeper, defensive midfielder, center midfielder. Like, never said for central midfielder, to be honest. But it's it's kind of just all over the place. But at one point, you had you kind of examined the team's shape. And I made note of this. And I don't know if this... I'd have to re-watch it to really... Or maybe you guys can provide more insight to, to see what the actual more consistent shape was. But at one point, you had Cruz as the six. You had Fede and Kamavinga next to him in the center midfield, and they had Ceballos ahead as a ten, just behind the forward. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of interested to see how that worked. But so Ancelotti says that against PSG, the midfield that has the highest probability of starting together is Valverde, Cruz, and Modric, which kind of also implies that you, he's probably going to go with a four-three-three again, which probably means Asensio on the right wing. How do you guys see that functioning, and what are the roles that each of these midfield trio would get against PSG and how would that work best if you're going to field those three together? What worries me is that last point you made. Carlos probably going to stay with the 4-3-3. And I just feel like with that midfield, I get, I get concerned with the 4-3-3 just because I don't think we have, um, Maybe it's the physicality, the athleticism to just compete with, with the PSG midfield. And I think we could get ripped through on transition, uh, especially if we are going to press a little bit higher, like Carlo mentioned. And so I would like to see a fourth midfielder, uh, somebody else just to give that extra stability and to provide those extra legs in midfield rather than um, playing with the a 4-3-3. Or if, if you're going to go 4-3-3, have the wingers be a little bit narrow and have your fullbacks provide the width. And I think that's another point we can talk about later is just fullbacks and um, what they, what they bring to the table right now, because I, 
haven't really been happy with what I've seen in the last few games. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm not surprised at all that he said that, um, even if it is giving away the trade secrets to PSG already. Um, and I do, I kind of expected that to be the midfield, but I just want, I don't know. I'm still a little, I just want a little bit more security in there. I don't know how, how you guys feel. So when you say that you being in like a diamond, or do you mean Fede playing right wing? Because if it's Fede um, playing right wing, I might agree. I don't know so much about a diamond, especially yeah, if we're it doesn't press. have to be a diamond. I just want I want um, our wingers or at least one winger to be able to tuck in and provide and maybe be a little bit more narrow to provide just kind of that additional support in midfield. Yeah, in in terms of like I've never loved Fede at right wing. It's always been functional but I think this is like the type of game where you want to consider it. And he's got enough reps there that he knows how he's supposed to play it in a way that helps the team, which does tend to be much narrow, especially in possession. And that actually aids our rest defense quite a bit. It puts a lot of stress on whoever that right back is going to be to cover that ground and tends to make things more left side oriented. But we, I, I think a lot of the concern is defensive and how we deal with what PSG are doing. I mean, Fede is going to add, like, offensively, in terms of positioning, it's different. But what he offers in terms of ball carrying and, you know, some some degree of pressure resistance in his own way, that's all very similar. So if that's how we're going to do with it conceptually, I'm I, I, that's something that I think should be seriously considered. My only worry is who becomes that other central midfielder that comes inside. The idea was with Kamavinga, this is it, right? Like, put him in. This is why we got him in terms of the immediate term, this is what he can provide. I don't know if I trust him for this game. Like the minutes he's played, the inconsistency of position that's happened with him. I don't know if we just throw him in there randomly and ask him to play what I'm guessing would be an advanced midfield role. Like whether that would be a good idea. I don't know if I trust bios like at all, like what he's had a couple of good cameos. Are we going to throw him in there? This is the consequence of the rotations, right? It's not necessarily that it would have made us play better in certain games earlier in the season, it's that it's for these moments. Now we don't have to ask the question, do yeah. I trust Kamavinga? We don't know what their level is Sabayas. at this point. Right. Like we, I, I just don't know what, what that's going to be. So the safest bet given this context is the four, three, three with Fede and keeping in Modric in there. Cause Modric has the quality. And so, so I understand that at this moment in time, but if we take the grander perspective and we look at the entire season, that's where it gets more questionable. We start to be like, we killed some of our options by not experimenting early in the season, which is, I think, been our larger point about the rotation. I think when people are like, defend it, are like, well, he put out the best 11 to win at that moment. And I don't know if I can disagree with you. It's about the long term. It's about for these types of games where it actually affects you as opposed to, oh, Kamavinga would have like completely changed the result, you know, in some random La Liga match, which... Although, to be fair, he did actually do some of that when he came on as a substitute in those early games and everyone got really excited. But, yeah, that's basically my take on it. I I, I agree that I think if you're going to go with 4-3-3, I actually would rather have Fede Valverde on the right wing as a uh, as opposed to Asensio for a couple of reasons. Obviously, he's not as good of a goal scorer as Asensio is. He's not going to generate his own shot like Asensio will, and you lose that, admittedly. What you do gain is that you actually get a better ball carrier and you need someone to really help fly that ball in transition. And that was a huge, huge weak point against PSG in the first leg. 
you also get a much better passer and creator. So while you might lose the shooting aspect, what you might get is actually more, possibly more creation and better build-up structure. He's also going to provide you with more defense. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Matt. I know you want to jump in. Well, yeah, just one thing I want to add is I think he would be able to compete better physically with Nuno Mendes too. Yep. Because everybody who went 1v1 with Nuno Mendes just got bodied and got manhandled. And I think Fede would be one to give him a tough time. Well, that's where I was going with it too. And uh, the physical aspect of it and just the, the way we saw Carvajal get absolutely bodied by, by Mbappe. And I don't know if it's going to be Neymar on that wing instead this time, or it's going to be both just interchanging and, and giving us all kinds of headaches. But regardless, we know that Fede is going to help more defensively than Asensio. And, and just his two-way presence is going to help us a lot. The other thing is that he can also he can also both defend wide, but also defend narrow pretty at a respectable clip. And that helps our, our entire control and defensive structure. Because you're also, again, like you guys said, that, that opens up a third midfielder spot. So you actually have a four midfielder scheme, but not necessarily a diamond, but one that is flexible and, that, and can also provide you with width. So who that third midfielder is, I actually am not too fussed about it. And I know that maybe that sounds weird, but I'm, I, I actually think that whoever it is would help us. I think Isco, I actually kind of trust him in games like this uh, in terms of ball possession and control and creativity I completely and, forgot about Isco and his defensive work forgot. and his defensive work rate I trust him in a game like this even though we haven't seen him much I also think that Kamavinga you know and and again this goes back to Oma's point like we don't really know what level they are because they barely play and when they do play they're out of rhythm but Kamavinga has had some at least one really good performance against PSG from his league on days and we know his physical capability especially if you put him a little bit higher up the pitch in a midfield not in an anchor role so i i like the idea of like mordich cruz valverde on the right wing plus the third midfielder being either Iskor kamavinga um sabios maybe off the bench if you want i don't know asensio off the bench in the second half i'm okay with that that's that's the kind of how yes. i see this playing out but it i don't i doubt it because ancelotti probably said probably that's going to be the midfield is going to be a four three three yeah, I think this is just too experimental for like, I, I, that's not, Carlo has not been doing this. Like he tried some weird yeah. stuff very early in the season and that was it. Like he was, he was not doing that again, but just I, to wrap up my thoughts on, on this train of thinking, I, maybe the way I'd handle it would be, all right, let's do the four, three, three, Fede on the right. Let's start Kamavinga. If Kamavinga is not doing well, Try to try to maintain that scheme if everything is working defensively as you want it with Fede by putting Isco on, right? And not working, I assume, is like Kamavinga is just not making it happen on the ball for whatever reason. And if that doesn't work, then just put Asensio on, put Fede back in midfield and concede that, okay, it, it did work the way I wanted it to. And let's do like the original 4 3 P plan. That's the way I think makes sense to manage it. And you have like multiple ways of like testing it out and trying to keep that idea alive before going to to the original position i don't know if that's like too idealistic whether you're burning too many subs but i don't know what other options you'd really want to be going for if you wanted to like do other things i, I that kind of seems to make the best most sense to manage the game but i don't know how you guys see it yeah i just i think we do have to do there's got to be something different we can't go in doing the same thing that we did in this first game and um the good thing is that the personnel almost forces us. The the suspensions forces us 
to change things up. And so is Ancelotti actually going to be as kind of creative and maybe drastic as we're, we're drawing up here, or is he just going to kind of conventional 4-3-3, Fede replaces Casemiro, Alaba and Nacho replace Mendy and same, same as always. Or are we are we going to see kind of something new up his a, a new trick up his sleeve? But I, I just don't think so. Knowing what we've seen from Ancelotti, I just think it's going to be traditional four three three. This next Ancelotti quote is something that we haven't talked about yet, but is a huge theme. And he says that we tried to press high today, and we have time before the second leg to work on the press and the intensity, which I'm not sure what the hell that means, but. Um, explain how you can magically turn on a high press in two weeks. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't really work that way. Like that's not, that's not from my understanding of watching a lot of coaches coach high pressing systems and how difficult it can be. It, it doesn't come together that quickly, right? Because it's not just a matter of position yourself here, position yourself here and go tackle that guy. It's an entire mindset, right? There's this idea of pressing triggers and being attuned to those triggers, pressing triggers being things that people have to recognize in game as, um, as a, tr- as a trigger quite literally to go press someone. Right. And some of it can be by design and quite obvious. Right. So the most common pressing trigger in any scheme you'll see all over the world is when they pass to the fullback, then you go close them down. Right. You leave that outlet open. And as soon as the pass comes into them, bang, you're away. No question about it. Go with full intensity. Then there are more subtle things, right? When someone receives with their back to goal, right. Or there's a loose touch players have to be locked in, right. They have to be able to recognize that instantaneously and go press. And those are the types of like small adjustments, recognitions that keep a press intact that like go outside just the idea of a basic structure and basic positioning, which is important, but it's just the skeleton for how all of it works. And that stuff takes time. It takes time to develop because it is a mentality that you have to develop. And there's a particular way of training it. And if we have a track record of two thirds of a season of it not working to the point where actually it was only a third of the season and we dropped the press and we're going to magically revive it. I mean, we're tempting fate by, by thinking that it can just work that way, right? So I didn't see much in that Rio game that told me that the press had come back. I mean, we, 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 we got an early turnover, I think, that led to one of the better Asensio chances. And after that, it just felt like we were creating a runway for Rio transitions. Obviously, you guys will have stuff you want to say about that, but I also want to want to know why you think Carlo is doing this? Is it just because we have to do something different or did he like really feel the pressure of like the way people reacted to that PSG game, right? The media was all over him. Like, this is not how Real Madrid play. We have to show a better image of ourselves. There was maybe some whispers of like people higher up, not really enjoying the way we played. We have to put in a better image at the Bernabeu. In my opinion, I think that has to be a factor because Carlo is a diplomatic guy. He understands the realities of the position and that's the real reason he's doing this. But yeah, I mean, address that however you want. I agree. I think sometimes I feel like Carlos too scared to lose his job. And like sometimes he, some of the decisions he makes is more in cautious, more, more cautious in a bid to not lose his job rather than just doing what he thinks is right or doing what he thinks he needs to do um, to win a game and or to be more experimental or whatever it may be. 
and for the like i didn't even think our our like i don't i really don't have that much to note on our press today because i didn't think we really pressed that often you mentioned that one chance ohm and that was like that was the one thing that sticks out to me and i thought that was a good play and that was something where yeah if we can pick and, and this is something i've been vocal about is like we can pick and choose our moments i i think there are will always times and games and triggers like you mentioned ohm where it's it's the right moment to press and you got to go 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 and you got to fully commit but this team is not going to be a team that that presses for 90 minutes or it can just on a flip of the flip of the switch be able to convert into a pressing team so even so if he wants to do that then i think that's just crazy but i do think against psg we'll see we'll see a different approach um i i don't think we're going to be pressing the entirety of the game i think it'll be in moments and I just hope that, um, yeah, I mean, I just think that this was something he he did feel the pressure from media. He did feel the pressure from uh, above, and I, I think he is kind of giving into it a little bit. So, I mean, this is the crazy thing. Ancelotti is saying that we tried to press. You guys didn't see a, a press. I saw two pressing sequences in the first half that I hated. One of them we actually got away with because Ryo just gave the ball away. And the second one was so bad that I can't even explain. So when he says we tried to press, what does that actually mean? When does like when does the decision made collectively that okay, this is the moment we try? <laughs> it's like, how does that work? That doesn't that's not an identity. That's not even something you can decide on the fly. Like so the one that I noticed was really bad in the first half was a sequence where Modric and Cruz are high up the pitch, but no one was behind them, kind of cover shadowing, and no one is, no one is even um, in place to read the play and intercept the pass if the ball gets behind them. No one's in really in position. They're kind of pressing, but they're kind of not. And the ball with two passes ends up uh, just basically on a run behind our defensive line, and Raya lose it there again. And so I don't know what that means when we try to press and how that's decided. And that's a really dangerous game to play because it's not a switch you can flip. And it was really bad like when we actually tried it. So I, I don't know what that means. And I think to Ohm's question also, like, is Carlo kind of reacting? I think he is because, like, he's also been vocal about I, – I think it was um, – I don't know which game it was. It probably coincided to that around the same time where uh, we – stop having an aggressive press and going into a, a deeper block. And he was saying, like, we agree with Real Madrid whistling us. And this is not the recent one, because he also said this recently, but he said this, like, a few months ago as well, where he said, we agree with the fans whistling, so Shakhtar, we have to change. Maybe it was Shakhtar, yeah, because I remember talking about it with Ewan, and, and he was like, we do need to change something. I agree with the burnabout. If, if the fans are not happy, they have to be entertained. So he does seem like he's not like Zidane wouldn't care. Zidane would tune out all the noise. He doesn't care about that at all, right? But I think Carlo cares. But I think so. Back to the discussion against how that would work against PSG. I think the problem. I think I think nobody would have cared that we played a deeper block against PSG if our counterattacks were efficient, right? If we had like a blitzing counterattack like we did against Bayern Munich, you know, in 2015, nobody would have cared. But we cared because we also weren't getting the ball into PSG's half at all. Whether that was a combination of fatigue and Vinicius being rushed back and Benzema being rushed back, Mendy being rushed back, I don't know. But I think it was a lot of just positional aspects of this game. So if you're going to play deep, do it. But be in position to counter because you can't counter playing that deep and, and PSG being as good as they are physically. So 
I don't know if a high press is a solution, but you got to be in position to counter much better than you were in the first leg. Yeah, so that's the thing, right? It's like this we do need to play differently because if we play the exact same way, we're going to lose, right? But that doesn't necessarily have to be with the press, right? Like I don't think you can use a solution that you don't have, right? Like that's just that's just being dumb and I understand like obviously the when you when you're we're talking about media noise and all of that, right? It that those types of opinions are going to exist. I think we'll see how it actually manifest because Carlo might say we're going to press and what he does is a medium block instead. And because people can't really tell the difference, they're like, wow, we went out and pressed, but we'll see. We'll see, we'll see what it's actually like. But I think this instinct to change something is correct, but it's really more about what Keon was talking about, which is we need to get the ball on PSG's half, right? Because what killed us was our inability to beat the pressure versus a side that's been a shit pressing team the entire season. Granted, Pochettino did some very specific things in that game that made their press good. And it's not like, oh, we were we were like facing something that was clownish. In that game, it was fine. But to me, that being the biggest issue was surprising. I don't think you can play as deep as we did because that makes it more difficult to counterattack. That's something I talked about. But, okay, if you move the line 10 yards higher, right, engage them at the halfway line and try to contest them there, the issue of still needing to counterattack is – is, is the biggest thing, right? And that goes yeah. back to things we were talking about, the midfield, that goes back to things Matt was asking about Mendy's performance, who's going to play at left back. To me, that's where this tie or this leg both would, would be won or lost, and that's where the improvement needs to happen. Not so much, oh, we need to press PSG's goal kicks, go all the way up there, and that's how we... Because we're not we're not going to dominate them like that. This, this is not the team we are this season. Um. Well, I I wanted to ask you guys, this is going to be a little bit of a a turn of um, discussion, but I'm curious to know what you guys thought of Ferland Mendy's game today. Um, And I I wanted to know if I missed something or if you guys saw it this way too. Do you guys feel like he just wasn't, I mean, maybe this is copy and paste for Mendy, but I felt like today specifically, he just wasn't contributing in attack much. Uh, I didn't see him and Vinicius, not that they combine anyway i think they actually that's one thing they have to work on their synergy together but i just felt like men we didn't really get any mendy overloads and much in the final third production from the left side at all whether it was vinicius or mendy um defensively he seemed fine but i'm just curious to know what you guys thought about mendy you can also talk about the fullbacks in general i, I noticed that carvajal was who scored his man of the match which caught me off guard but i'm revisiting my carvajal notes and they were actually not bad like he had a lot of important defensive interventions some good link up play with asensio that set him free especially in the first half um some composure defensively too so i'm just curious to know what you guys thought about the wingbacks yeah i think carvajal actually had a good game um but i have more of like an overarching issue with both of the fullbacks uh, mendy i just I think he, as I mentioned earlier, really struggled under the press, had some poor giveaways in the first half. I thought he improved in the second half on the ball, at least, and he was doing some of his crazy little uh, Cruyffs and back flicks and stuff like that to get fouled and managed to get out of dangerous situations. But um, from both of our fullbacks, this is a thing that that frustrates me and is something that I think limits our, our offense, is especially in games like today where we have 70% possession, we're circulating the ball. We our wingers maybe come in a little bit into the half space, uh, which both Vinicius and Asensio were doing. And so we'd have Crucible play a big diagonal switch either to 
Carvajal or to Mendy. More, most often it was to Carvajal. And Carvajal gets the ball and he's isolated. He brings it down. And he's isolated 1v1 with Fran Garcia or whoever the fullback winger is. And my frustration is I don't think we now, because of the way our system's built and our offense is built, we need those fullbacks to be able to take players on 1v1, get by them, beat them 1v1, get a low driven cross in or whatever, some type of service, cut the ball back to the top of the box. And our fullbacks don't do that. They, when was the last time Carvajal took a guy on 1v1? And if he does, do you have confidence that he'll beat that player? I don't. Uh, he, that's not his in his game anymore. And so the ball just gets recycled and we play it back to Asensio and just keep it moving and flip it back and forth. But nobody has that ability when you're isolated 1v1 to, to take a player on, beat them, and create something. And that's... That's where I think we're lacking because now, right now, at least how we're playing with our with Vinicius and Asensio, many times they're making runs uh, in the half space or, or more central. And so it leaves our fullbacks to occupy the width. And that's great. Like that's what uh, modern systems do. But these two guys, I think Mendy could do it more often, but he doesn't. These two guys just don't have it in them to take players on 1v1. Yeah, I, I agree with the point. Like Mendy we've discussed this with Mendy's dribbling before, right? It's not like a super technical style of dribbling, but when he can face up versus guy one versus one and just try to bait tackle, he has the explosiveness to get by them and do something. But I think with the questions over his crossing and how he interchanges with Vinicius, like that just become less and less of a thing. And if we want to use him offensively, I say try to isolate him in those situations. And yeah, maybe the cross will not be the best coming from that, but if he does it enough times, it's going to add value, Right. And so I think that's how you address it with Mendy. With Carvajal, I don't know if there's a way around it because Matt was just saying it's not his game anymore. A big thing with Carvajal at his best was he had this acceleration that was really quite fantastic. And it it aided him on, on both ends of the pitch on offense. So versus the press, a huge part of his press resistance was when he receives the ball and the team sees him as the pressing trigger, he would use that to take this big first touch out of the press and he would be so fast he'd get to the ball suck in someone else he beat them with another touch and there would be like these moments every three or four games where he'd take out like two or three guys and he progresses up the pitch and that was always to me one of the more underrated aspects of his game and then obviously that's going to aid him when he's trying to create separation for a cross he just doesn't have that anymore right he's been injured too many times He's older now. So when you take that out of his game, it makes him less press resistant. And then what Matt was talking about, it makes him less able to do the one versus one. If there's a guy that has some of that still in terms of one versus ones, it's Lucas. I know we make fun of the step overs and stuff, no, but he's honestly, yeah. right. In these types of games, I would play Lucas. He's the only guy that, that can actually like, you know, create a bit of separation off some type of skill, however funny we think it is or not. Carvajal just doesn't have that anymore, if right? Like you that's, look at that's Lucas's underlying team. numbers too, just as like a pure wing back in his offensive numbers. They're fantastic. Like he, especially last year, they were unbelievable. He was one of the best. Why, like as a pure right wing back, right with less defensive duties. Like if he was in a five-three-two system, he would be he would be one of the best in the business based on his performances last year. Uh, I, I think his numbers have dropped a little bit this year, but. He was he was so good from that type of perspective, and so if he's a guy, he would be to your point, Om. He would be a guy much better at just getting isolated one v one, doing his little stepovers, and at least trying to beat somebody and getting across. And he would attempt it at least. Uh, the weirdest thing about Mendy in this game is, uh, 
in like the first minute, he had this really strange sequence where he makes a run to the right half space. I don't know if you guys noticed that. It just, it was, I don't know how he ended up there, but I have to like watch it again. Like what was his like pattern and thought process to get there? But then he just stands in the box and the ball comes to him. I think Karpakal passes to him and it just bounces off his leg and goes out of bounds. I, it was it was an interesting wrinkle that maybe would have added some numerical superiority if he was able to do anything with that. But then And then he just kind of disappeared in the, uh, after that for me. But he did have that one important tracking sequence. I think it was the 82nd minute um, where he just outruns whoever it was on the, on the Rio flank to get the ball. Um, other things uh, that I think we should touch on before um, maybe we get to the subs. Um, I, think, I think we should. Uh, I was just going to highlight Asensio, at least in the first half. I think he was very he quiet was in the second half. But in the first half, he was he was our best player, I thought. But, like everything that was good was coming from Asensio or ended up at Asensio's feet. And the execution wasn't there. He obviously missed a couple chances that I think he should have scored but he was doing like roulettes i think you tweeted about it kian or somebody tweeted about like him doing roulettes in the back he, he did a couple in the final third two to try and play a pass to modric he was just trying different things and being a little bit more adventurous than we're used to seeing with Asensio. just looked confident um so i like that from him and i thought he was probably one of the lone bright spots in, in the first half yeah just real quick like because matt mentioned this like three weeks ago or something like changing his mind a little bit on Rodrigo Asensio debate I will say like I've come around there and um, part of that is Asensio taking more responsibility but also like this comes back to bite me in the ass with the way the goal was created and Rodrigo was actually involved in that but Rodrigo's like underlying numbers I mean they're just they've not been there he's not been producing Um, obviously he's more reliable defensively he does he does he does other things but just looking at like who's producing offensively like for for what it is I think this is like one of the decisions that I'm I've come around with in terms of Carlo. Like I, I think he's correct in, in assessing that Asensio has been more valuable for most games this season. And I thought he was quite good in the, in the first half. And because he, he was the guy doing the most things, I was like sub off Vinicius. And um, I think not just because of the outcome I'm wrong, but we'll, we'll talk about it because Hian said we're, we're getting to the sub. Um, well, just one more thing is that, Every time an opposing team puts a cross in or a set piece in, I just know that we're going to concede a free header. And that's super worrying to me. And that's it's been consistent throughout the whole season. We don't have the aerial presence that we used to defending set pieces and crosses. And um, it's just something that, like clockwork, you just, you just expect that. And Rio had a bunch of free headers today. And that's something that was, again, just really bad, really bad that we could not deal with. Even like just simple crosses at the far post, you're like, how did this player get open? And and we're just not tracking these cutting runs. I don't know what it is. And on set pieces, we just get bamboozled. We're just confused. We don't know where the free headers are and they the opposing team always gets to it. So let's talk about the, the most shocking moment of this game is the first sub comes in the 60th minute where I think... Carlo Ancelotti just turns his back and David Ancelotti just used that opportunity to make a quick sub. He he wanted to implement his 60th minute sub so badly that he's like, hurry, dad's not looking. Get in, get in the field. Fede Valverde for Casemiro really quick. Uh, Fede was great off the bench. So why don't we start with the first sub? We did kind of talk about this already, but uh, feel free to touch on the first sub or or all the subs. Go for it. 
Yeah, so I think that was the right move, taking Casemiro off. It was a really terrible performance. Oftentimes, we see him improve in the second half. That did not appear to be the case. Like, it just looked like it was it was the same thing. I was really surprised it happened, but it was, it was a good move. Fede played quite well for the rest of the game, and yeah, it was the right decision. I don't think it's more complicated than that. In terms of the other substitutions, yeah. So Rodrigo coming on for Asensio, yeah, I, I thought keep on the guy who, who's been most dangerous, Vinny, just this is the other thing when we're talking about a guy being overworked. I, I think part of his drop-off is he's just tired, right? He's not going at guys off the dribble in the same way. He only attempted four dribbles. Usually he at least attempts two, three more. He just wasn't that involved. And part of that is he can't, but also I think he's picking his moments now, right? He knows that he has to manage himself for the rest of the season. And so that takes away from his ability to do what he was doing in the first half of the campaign, which was just terrorize people constantly, which made him just look absolutely insane as a player. And he's just kind of like, okay, how can I pick my movements more? Like what is the most dangerous time I can use my movement or dribble? And that's when I'm going to use it as opposed to like going hundred percent all the time, which is kind of what we want our wing, our young winger to be able to do, to be able to drive an offense, especially if Benzema is just kind of coming back. So Vinny was really not doing anything. And I thought, let's put Rodrigo on the left. I always want to see him on the left because I think part of the production issue is like, I just, I just wonder if we're sort of hitting our ceiling with what we can get from him on the right. Obviously, I think he can be better than he's been this season. I think last season is the ceiling, but that level of production was simply fine, not anything special, right? We put him on the left. That's the way to unlock him. That's never going to be the long-term solution for him, but I always like to see it. So I was like, do that. Maybe we can get something. And then Rodrigo comes on has a contribution, I think, initiating the play, beautiful uh, combination play between Benzema and Vinny. And the reason I think I'm wrong in that instance is I think we should rest Vinny and rotate him. I mean, at this point in the season, that that opportunity has basically passed. But Vinny just has that quality, man. Like, he just is a difference maker. And when it's 10 minutes left in the game, I don't know how much you're actually, like, saving him by taking him off, right? He's there... He has more quality than maybe anyone else in those tight spaces. He will make the difference. And I think it's just about recalibrating and looking at him as that type of player, right? Because I've called for Jovic to be subbed on, but a lot of times when Benzema is playing poorly, it's not like we're like, take him off. It's like, put Jovic on next to him, right? And I think that's kind of where Vinny is at in terms of the stat. Yeah, I agree. I think... Um... It's funny because I thought Vinicius was definitely coming off because if you remember, he tried to do like some flick when the ball got passed to him. He lost it and like Carlo exploded on the sideline. Um, and I was like, oh, Vinicius is for sure coming off now because I hmm. saw Rodrigo already warming up or getting his top on or whatever. And um, it was it was Asensio. So I was really surprised. But sure enough, I mean, that that I can't get over the run he made on that goal because he he just kept curling his run, kept waiting, kept waiting until the ball, because he wanted it a couple, like a few seconds earlier and it didn't come to him. So he just kept curling his run, kept going horizontally across the back line until it finally got to him. And uh, once it did unselfish, the right play and just handed over to his, his partner in crime, Benzema. But um, one thing I was thinking about there too, while you were talking home is I, I definitely think fatigue is, is something that's come up. Um, I think too, what I've noticed with the young players, especially with the loan tracker um, is we saw this with Odegaard and obviously the knee injury kind of played a little bit of a role, but we're seeing it with Brahim now too. Like, I feel like 
the first full season of these youngsters becoming an out and out week and week starter sometimes is hard for them to get used to that on their um on their body especially at like an elite professional level like la liga and playing in the champions league in europe and stuff like that and so i think sometimes um like vinicius has never really had a full season where he's been the guy starting week in and week out and so i think that coupled with just like the insane amount of games and travel he's done it, it's all it's all starting to catch up with him i hope like he kind of gets his his legs back under him in the spring. Sometimes we see that where, where the lift comes back, maybe late March, April timeframe, but hopefully it's not too late in terms of champions league. When, when that comes. At, you mentioned Odegaard and I just got so sad because like watching him in that last game, I think it was against wolves. Uh, All my Arsenal friends text me constantly and are just like, thank you. Cause he's, he's killing it now. I just, it was, it's, Everything we need in terms of midfield depth that we lack in progressive passing, he has exactly that. Plus, he can actually contribute from the right wing. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> uh, the other thing I want to say, like, in and almost mentioning, you know, like, Rodrigo on the left to give Vinicius rest totally makes sense to me. And if we haven't seen it by now, we're not going to see it. But also, we should factor in the fact that, like, it, I don't know if it would have made a difference, at, to be honest, but... This we've had a week rest between this game and the last game, and then we have another week rest until our next game against Real Sociedad, and then we have PSG. So, just given the that fact, I I actually agree with Carlo in getting Vinicius, Benzema, and everyone else up to match rhythm up until that game because you have a week rest in between games anyway. So I I actually agree with that, but but it's also possible that if we were playing seven days straight that we would have seen this lineup anyway. So I don't think it's like, <laughs> but it's just something worth noting. At least we have these breaks in between and there's no midweek games. That, that helps a lot, I think. Um, talking about, we can talk about the goal. You know, Matt kind of broke it down there. I also wanted to mention that Benzema's off-ball movement on that play was so good because not one single Rio player even realized that he was making that run and getting himself free. Uh, it was just... It was awesome. It was cerebral. Great connection. Great passing in tight spaces. Great work. Rodrigo also involved in the build-up, as, as Om said. Anything else you want to say about that goal? No, I think you guys covered it. Okay. Um, are we going to wrap it up here? How long have we been recording? Over like, an hour. Over an hour and a half, I think, probably. Man, I... Uh, I'm totally. I totally said I was gonna be somewhere for my fam with my family, uh, like half hour ago. So, <laughs> I I'm okay with wrapping it up here. I have a Baha'i holiday to to celebrate with my family, so it's a big family time. I know there's a lot of Baha'is listening to this podcast, so uh, uh, enjoy the celebration with your family. This is this might be the only podcast where like it starts with talking about testicles and male grooming, then transition to football tactics and ends with talk about religion. So <laughs> well, and, shout out to yeah, Manscaped, uh, shout out to, to, to Managing Madrid, shout out to God for also being involved in this podcast. Can remember too, for patrons, we'll, we'll laugh at this. Remember, 28 days in uh, February, you uh, you were worried, you, were, <laughs> you couldn't get the date right at the start of the podcast. And I wanted to make sure you remember there's only 28 days. <laughs> yes, that's that's correct. Yes. So uh 
there was also people making fun of us. They sent us some, some messages to saying like, you know, just the fact that we didn't, I didn't even know what a leap year truly means. I thought I knew, but it turns out I was way <laughs> off base. And it turns out February, 28 days in February is a lot more common than I initially thought. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and you think being and say. you think being on Earth for thirty four years, experiencing this <laughs> yeah. thirty four times, you you figure it out. But I guess not. I guess not. But hey, man. Um, I guess I, I I'm I've just been occupied with other things in my mind that are more important. Uh, gentlemen, thank you. Appreciate your time. Uh, and we will be back on what's the next one? Tuesday. We don't. We do you have any last bancas coming up, Om? At Tuesday, we're playing uh, in the Copa de la Reina, if I'm remembering correctly. So we'll, we'll come back with the podcast then, if we can watch that match. Okay, cool. So Tuesday, and uh, we might have Las Blancas and Lone Tracker, and that will likely be over on patreon.com slash managingmadrid. We have a great Kubo game to, to talk about, apparently. Oh, yeah. I haven't oh, watched oh, yeah. it yet, but Matt and others were tweeting about it. So I'm, I'm going to go watch that before the weekend ends, and we'll, we'll talk about it on Tuesday. And... Yeah, get your podcast tickets, and we'll see you guys over on patreon.com slash managingmadrid for more exclusive content. Thanks, guys. Take care. All right, you guys know the drill. Before we let you guys go, we're going to give a quick shout-out to all of our amazing patrons over on patreon.com slash managingmadrid, and a specific shout-out to our $10-plus patrons, because if you pledge $10 or more, you get a specific shout-out on the podcast, and also you get guaranteed responses to all of your questions every episode. So shout out to Brandon Alvarez, Willie Reed, Wei Pering, Wamik Jamal, Umar Mahadi, Tyler Simon, Tyler Dixon, Tobias Arroyo Bacher, Tahmid Kalam, Sushank Damala, Sujaiwani, Sumanshu Singh, Shivam Tiwari, Shamil, Shabazz Sharapov, Sergio Arispe, Santos Solorzano, Said Mahad, Rovi Tahiev, Rishi D, Raghav Potluri, Phoenix, Raul Gutierrez, Patrick Odayafadi, Oscar Barrera, Nico Laxo, Nicolas Zapatero Zubiare, Nicholas Moller, Nick Ribeiro, Muxi Thengel, Mowgli, MJ Diego, Michael Zinberg, Marin Myrtle, Martin Ridman, Marcos Treminio, Leon Savernakis, Kunal Tilakar, Crystal Glass, Kevin Rivera, Jose Cruz, John Fernandez, Jeff Thurston, Jason Fitz, Graham Gerard, Gary Kohut, Frederick Rantakiro, Frederick Sundros, Faisal Hamdan, S.A. Davisito, Eloy Enriquez, Edward Sossman, Daniel Williams, Christian Toft, Christian Acosta, Charles Williams, Brendan Powers, Brandon Stevens, Austin Fury Erdman, Anirud Singh, Alexis Seniseros, Al Adar Zalukovic, Adam Dorsey, Bella Chow, Varun, Fabiana Moreno, Daniel Smith. We love you guys so much. Enjoy the rest of your weekend and Halamarik.